You're listening to Outnumber the Podcast, episode 128 with guest Megan Gibson. Megan is a midwife and a firefighter's wife. She's also a mom to three awesome kids, including Chloe, who has special needs. Megan is also expecting a sweet little boy with the same genetic condition that Chloe has. Join us as we learn from Megan all about the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the bittersweet of raising special needs kids. Hello and welcome to Outnumbered the Podcast. I'm Audrey. And I'm Bonnie. We are experienced moms to a combined total of 19 children. In our weekly episodes, we explore relatable topics using our perspectives of humor and chaos. Tune in for advice and encouragement to gain more joy in your parenting journey. Hello friends, we're so glad you're here today and we are super excited to share with you a lovely guest that we have, Megan Gibson. Hey Megan, how are you doing? Good, thank you for inviting me. We are so glad you you are here. I am, um, Megan lives here in Arizona by me and I know her personally and I'll just give a quick intro about how I know Megan then we're going to get an intro from you. Is that that cool? Yes, sounds good. Okay, so um, I... Just a little backstory. I had one, a couple of my babies at home and one of them, I had my midwife and she had an assistant. And then maybe a year later, I was at a homeschool conference and a woman came up to me and said, hi, how's your baby doing? And I went, uh, <laughs> good. Which <laughs> one? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And, and which baby, right? And Megan says, oh, I'm so sorry. I was your midwife's assistant at her birth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I did not even barely know you were there. And she goes, oh, that's totally normal. That's that's the way it should be. I'm supposed to be the assistant who's just quiet and behind the scenes. So I thought that was so funny because then I went back and looked at my pictures. I'm like, yeah, there she is. So then we got to know each other and she actually knows my mother-in-law and Megan is just a delight to get to know. So I hope you guys love this episode. Um, yeah. So this is Megan. Yeah. So I am a midwife. I think I maybe was just a student still. I don't remember. I was close to being licensed when I was at your birth, but now I'm a licensed midwife, and I squeeze that into the nooks and crannies of my life, but I love it. And I'm a, my husband's a firefighter, so I'm a fire wife too, and I have three kids. Well, they're still my kids, but they're 20, 19, and 15, so I have, two of them are technically adults. And I'm pregnant with my fourth, so I'm looking at a 15-year gap and starting all over. Uh, wow. And my that wasn't my intention, but that's the way it's working out. And I have um my 20-year-old has special needs. She has a genetic disorder similar to Down syndrome. She's a lot like a person with Down syndrome and the baby I'm carrying will have the same disorder. Okay. So, hang on. I got to ask you just a couple questions. <laughs> um, so yeah. I wanted to know how you said you fit midwifery into the nooks and crannies of your life. So, like the midwife that I had at my birth, like it was like her entire life. Like any time she was called, it like she got up and went. <laughs> but she is a lone midwife like working by herself. So you like I'm guessing here like you work with a clinic or with another group of midwives? I so I work mostly with the midwife that trained me, the one that was um, Bonnie's okay. midwife. So I will back her up, and the, the on-call part is there. But I didn't do a lot of that until my kids were a little older, and I could just okay. leave. At least you know, at least leave, and someone's on their way. 
you know, so they're, they might be long 30 minutes or something like that. Um, personally, I, I do one or two clients a year. So that, you know, I might have prenatals all year long for somebody, but, but there might be two births a year that I go to. Yeah. Okay. That, that totally makes (laughs) sense because like we live in a pretty rural area and my midwife would love to have someone else who could, um, work with her, like another midwife. She has some apprentices or assistances, assistants, but she doesn't have anybody. So anyway, I just like, that was my paradigm. And I had to back up and ask you that. All right. So moving yeah. on to Chloe. Yes. Um, I, I followed you on Instagram so I could check out Chloe and, and then I followed her account too. And what a <laughs> sweetheart, what a smiley sweetheart. Can you tell us some more about Chloe and like, what are her special needs and her talents? Like you said, it's a little bit like down syndrome, but can you fill us in some more? Yeah, I use that because most people are familiar are familiar with somebody and they could kind of have a point of reference for that. And the name yeah. of her disorder is confusing and long. Um, so that, that's two questions. So she, she has a chromosomal abnormality that affects her physically. She had a lot of medical care, especially the first 10 years. She was on a trach, which is in your neck to help you breathe. And she had a G-tube in her stomach to help her eat and... We're in the hospital more often than not, countless surgeries. So that's the physical part of it. And then it affects her cognitive. She's 20 or also the physical part of it. She, you know, she's still in diapers and she's 20. And so there's just a lot that goes on there. And then cognitively, she, um, I, I like to say like second grade. Um, she has real, a lot of trouble with academics, especially like, adding or complex steps, but she can read Harry Potter. (laughs) So it's kind of all over the place. And then she, um, but, um, but then emotionally she's like any other 20 year old and she has crushes and she wants to get married and she wants to go to college. And so somehow all of those things combine together. (laughs) But she can't, yeah, she can't add, she can't add two plus two, but (laughs) Yeah. So I did um, say in a previous episode um, that I spent um, some of my time, um, well, my my minor in college was special education. And then I spent some time in the summer nannying for a child that had Angelman syndrome. And she, um, like her parents' goal for her life was to get her potty trained. And yeah. you know, just, yeah. <laughs> so I, like I'm there. I understand. I completely get it. And what a special special person. Yeah. She's a lot of fun. I say, you know, now that I'm at the kind of the end, I have typical kids that are 19 and 15 and I'm like, you know, I had to change her diapers, but I didn't have to do a lot of the behavioral stuff. So her teenage Mm. years, I would have traded changing diapers for some of the issues my other teenagers (laughs) had. So it's just six one way, you know, half a dozen another. It's different problems. Yeah, you uh, you give up some stuff for um, some rewards, right? Okay, so my question is: so she's your oldest, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, so when you do work, is is there someone to take care of her? Is she pretty good at taking care of herself for short periods of time, or how does that work? She can stay for very short periods of time, but I usually don't. Um, um, leave her. Oh, it's complicated. So she's very well behaved. Like if I told her not to answer the door, she wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But if someone came to the door that was very convincing and told her she had to, she probably would. 
and you know, safety stuff. She would never use the stove without asking, but if something was on the stove burning or the stove got turned on, she wouldn't be able to figure out how to get out of that situation. So, so it's like, as long as nothing happens and she's just sitting watching TV, we're okay, but I can't control the whole world. Actually, her brother is certified now to do respite care now that he's an adult. So usually in the pinch, like if I'm just walking out the door, you know, he can watch her for a little bit, or even my 15 year old could watch her. And then I have gotcha. people that can come, but, the, but my husband being a firefighter mostly helps. He's home a lot more when he's gone. He's gone. He might be gone at night. And if I have to leave at night, but he's home more gotcha. too. So that's been a way to help balance it. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's talk a little bit about um, when you were expecting Chloe, because you find yourself in a similar situation now here 20 years later, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so that first time, I'm assuming you had a diagnosis ahead of time, correct? Were, were you able to prepare at all for that ahead of time? So no, actually we didn't have any idea. Uh, I was nine, so I was 19 when I got married and we came back from, um, our honeymoon pregnant in hindsight, there's signs. And I think that maybe the doctor suspected things, but there wasn't much they could say. So this was 20 years ago. Ultrasounds weren't as great as they are now. And they didn't have genetic testing prior to birth. They had a couple screenings that weren't very accurate. But they also didn't even do any of that unless you were 35, 40, or or had some reason to, which we didn't have any of those. Um, So she she never grew right. They kept telling me that they wanted to change the dates. And since it was our honeymoon, I knew the dates weren't wrong. But I kept going like, well, I don't know whatever and yeah. they changed the dates and she wouldn't grow right and I had to get a couple extra ultrasounds um but so I think they knew something was wrong but they weren't sure and we certainly didn't get that message cuz it was our first I didn't know yeah. that wasn't normal yeah you're young and clueless and no history of anything going wrong right yeah and they just kept saying well we think it's fine then she was induced because she wasn't growing properly they said well, you know what you're just young and tiny and she might do better out than in. Well, that made sense to me. So, and I was ready to meet her. Mm-hmm. So she was, um, she was induced. And then when she was born, she looked like she had Down syndrome, but I had read in a magazine, cause that's what we had back then, that, she, that newborns look funny and be prepared. So I remember mm-hmm. thinking that looking at her face and going, Oh my gosh, she looks like she has Down syndrome. And then going, Oh no, wait, she's all squished up cause she's a newborn. And, uh, but I found out later that they did think she had dysmorphic features is what they called it. And she wasn't breathing. She was purple. I didn't see her until she had tubes in her mouth and then they took her away. She was air back to another hospital. Then they did genetic testing. She was about three weeks old when we found out this would be a lifelong situation. So we did not know before and we didn't even know those first couple weeks in the NICU. We just thought... Oh, well, once she gets breathing on her own, we'll go home and everything will be normal. So it wasn't oh until gosh. about three weeks that we found that out. And the, and because it's rare, I remember they took us in a room and they told us and they said that um, she wouldn't, that if she made it through, she was born in March. If she made it through her first winter, she, her life expectancy was three, that I shouldn't bother pumping anymore because she'd never know who I was. And she would be profoundly, was the word, they used handicapped back then. So profoundly handicapped. And we were like 19, you know. (laughs) 
It's like, yeah. Yeah. I don't wow. know. So we cried in that room. It was like a consultation room. And then we went out in the hallway and saw my grandma who raised me. She's like my mom and cried with her. But then we walked back to her NICU and I distinctly remember thinking like, she's so pretty and she's just laying here and she doesn't know what they just told us. That's, mm-hmm. she was just, she's just born. She's just here. She doesn't know she has a, like a path that they're expecting her to follow. And in that moment, and which she didn't. <laughs> right. And she totally yeah. didn't. And, and that, you know, that changed it. It was like, well, we're just going to take her home and do everything like we would any other kid that we love. And see how it goes so that was different I did we didn't know and we didn't know what it meant either even when we got a diagnosis right right what a what an intro to parenting huh well here you go nine months after getting married you get this baby and good luck um I love so much about what you said it's just incredible that you just looked at her and saw her and like said it it like I had this um reminder of that time in the Bible where it talks about um, Moses's parents saw him that he was a goodly child. And so they hid him three months and they didn't, you know, what was going on in Egypt at that time. So like you just looked at your baby and you just knew that there was more potential and then, then they were giving her like life expectancy of three months to three years and just kind of not having any hope. But I just love the power of like um, that mother's intuition and instinct and love. And you just like, she was yours. Yeah, I definitely so, think that's true. You see, so, they see numbers and all those things, and that's valid. But we yeah. see a little bit more. Yeah. Right. And you're the one that's going to have to live with it, right? Not them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward 20 years. This time, um, you're not only getting to know in advance of the arrival of your little one, but you have 20 years of preparation. <laughs> so how are you how are you feeling going into this 20 years later? Yeah, it's been interesting. So I will fully admit that when we found out, I freaked out and I was crying and I was upset. And the problem is I, you know, and all the nurses and stuff there were like, I got this pity look of like, oh, poor ladies having, you know, a, a child that nobody wants. That's how it felt. Just a real pity look. But that's not what I was upset about. I, what I was upset about was just, it's hard. And last time I did this, I was 20, not 40. <laughs> that that, that mm-hmm. factors in. And all of the having to watch her be in so much pain and having to do that again, all the surgeries and all of the things. And that was mm-hmm. worrisome. And I had um, a stillborn with the same disorder in 2015. And so the the biggest freak out for me was I could not survive that again. And I had Mm. thought that, Oh, this baby's fine. We're going to make it to the end and everything's going to be great. So it was all of those things and finding out all at once and just the overwhelm of it all because it is, it is overwhelming. I mean, I was joking about the teenager stuff and that's true, but it is overwhelming. It's a lot of needs all the time. And so I was definitely feeling that. But, no, you know, then after I freaked out and calmed down, then I was like, okay, well, this is, this is my baby just like any other baby and there's things to be excited about and, you know, we'll just take it one step at a time. And that's where the things that like, well, wait, a lot of what was hard was 
you know, the guinea pig, she was my first kid and she was my first special needs kid. So there's a lot of stuff I'm going to do differently or know differently or, you know, won't be the same as it was before, not to mention technology and everything else. So that has been different. I will say that people knowing has been a little different. I, I get a lot of comments, a lot of people feeling sorry for me, which feels strange. And the doctors are different. Just what do you want to do with this pregnancy? And, and you know, we better do this. I feel like they're hypersensitive and lots of extra testing that I didn't have to endure with Chloe. Mm-hmm. So it's good to know, but it has been... It has been a little bit challenging to know. Ignorance is bliss on some levels. Right, right. Well, it sounds like similar to what you're saying about just her having her diagnosis in general is that there's, you know, as you go through life, your perspective changes, your experiences change. And so some of the things you're going to do differently, like you mentioned, and some of the things you're probably going to enjoy more um, and be scared of less. And and maybe there will be other things that are a little bit harder, but I love your attitude that it's it's just going to be another experience and you're going to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. We were hypersensitive with her. Like every birthday was a big deal and you know, oh my gosh. And with this, this time it's a lot more laid back. Like, well, if he has a hard time, he does. We'll get through it. Right. And the wonderful thing is that you do have the experience of seeing a child with her diagnosis live as long as she has and have so many wonderful experiences in life. And so you have this probably a lot more optimism this time around, I'm assuming. Yeah. And I you think have a little bit of experience. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of um, where I was headed with the doctors. They, they refer to it as like this pregnancy and all these things that they kind of have to, but you know, Chloe, Chloe believes she has a great life and she does. So <laughs> it's, it's interesting. This baby will be the same. You know, he'll think his life is great. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. And that's kind of how Chloe is too. So that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, that is really a really great thought. She's going to get a lot of that from you too, right? Or he he will, and she, I'm sure Chloe does as well, gets a lot of that attitude from you. Yeah, and he'll have Chloe too. He has someone that's like, oh, like me. And he has another picture of what 20 years old could look like too. Doesn't have to look like graduating college and doing all these things. I did just think of something I wanted to say with um, what Audrey said about um, who she took care of and and potty training being such a big deal. That's one of the things that that's a similar thing that like, I just don't care about this time around. And that's nice. And I did for years and years and years and years. That was such a big goal for Chloe and such a big deal and such a big thing. And now I probably just won't even try. (laughs) Like, it's just not, it's not the end all be all. So if he ends up being 20 in diapers, it's, I can tell, I can see it's not the end of the world. Yeah, that, yeah, that is such a good perspective. Um, I think, like, those of us moms who have, okay, so I have also, I have a 22-year-old, so my oldest kids are, like, in your upper kids' age ranges. I have a 22-year-old, and I also have had, nine kids all the way down to one. I have a two-year-old. <laughs> and oh, so yeah. I have been changing diapers for 22 <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. And it's not... Um, they just all stayed little instead of getting to be big buns, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, it's not as big of a deal 
to me as it used to be either. Now I'm thankful each time one of mine does potty train, but <laughs> I, 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 from this weird perspective of having changed diapers for 22 years, I do understand where you're coming from, that it's just part of life. <laughs> it's true. And the first time you, typical kids are not the first time you feel, uh, you feel so wrapped up in it. And I think first time moms, a lot of times put their worth into it. Like I must not be a good mom. If I can't potty train, my I have a three-year-old that's yeah. still peeing their pants at night or you get so worked up into it. And with some perspective, it's kind of like, well, you know, I, I pee a little when I sneeze and that's just, <laughs> that's, it's just not the end of the world. That is an excellent point. We're just all like a bunch of toddlers now. It's fine. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, so I want to shift gears a little bit here, Megan, and ask you if you have any um, words of wisdom for other parents who are facing similar diagnoses. So I would imagine uh, there's a lot of loneliness, like you mentioned, a lot of fear. Um, What would you say to someone who is facing this diagnosis of something that they did not anticipate um, that's making them nervous? Yeah, so the loneliness is actually huge. And even after I thought I had figured that all out. And, you know, I'm like, I got this. Chloe recently should have graduated with her peers. And so Mm -hmm. I see all her peers graduating and moving on with their life and doing things on their own. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't on the floor crying about it, but there's definitely that sting. There's that moment and Mm -hmm. of milestones and things still come up this far later. So there's that, that piece, even though I know like I'm happy I'm happy with what she has. And there's so many things that I get from her. I mean, I still get, you're the best mom ever. I still get, let's, I get 25 hugs a day and we get to watch Disney movies (laughs) all the time. I always have someone to watch a Disney movie with. So there's benefits that, but you know, I didn't, I'm not seeing her leave and go and graduate and do all these things that her peers are. It's always hard. Even if you don't want to compare, you're not supposed to compare. You always are. You know the people who have kids the same age as yours. And it's just always there in the back of your mind. And the so that stings a little. And it affects, um, like, I've been part of lots of really great moms groups. Like the homeschooling group you mentioned. It's hard sometimes to even sit at a conversation at a table with people talking about curriculum or what their kids are doing, it's hard to feel a part of it. Even if you're not feeling the stings and the pains, it's hard to feel a part of it because that's just not your life. It's just not what you're living at home every day. And so you do feel a little bit isolated. Um, I remember doing or come, doing some sort of blog post years ago. Even you, people will hear me say that and they'll say, oh, but you have all these other special needs moms. Well, they're all busy too. I mean, we're all busy, but... But special needs moms have a really hard time. They have so many appointments and so many therapies and so many things. It's like telling them to just make friends or telling them to just do self-care. It just just doesn't help. <laughs> it falls on dead ears. <laughs> so that's, that's not what I would say to them. But what I would say is enjoy what you have. Enjoy your journey. And don't be afraid to say to volunteer your experiences. I spent a lot of years just keeping my mouth shut about, oh, well, I can't say anything because my kid doesn't do their own homework. So I don't have anything to contribute to this conversation because I don't do that. Or 
my kid's not walking. Everybody's kid's walking and my four-year-old isn't, so I don't have anything to say about childproofing or this. But I've I've really had nothing but warm reception and moms that want to know more or um, that helps in, be included into the conversation too and helps other people see your kid. Like, you're still just a mom. You still just have the same – a lot of – there's more alike than different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we wanted you to share with our audience is some advice or suggestions um, for new parents of a special kid. Like talk to us about celebrating, grieving, accepting this new life cycle. I'm sorry, this new lifestyle. Oh, yeah. So so grieving, I think it's important to let yourself grieve. When I see a lot of special needs moms get in trouble, and I did some of it too, is that you just try to pretend everything's normal. You try too hard to keep it normal. There is stuff that's just not. There's things that you're just not going to experience that you planned on experiencing. And you need to let yourself feel that. And you need to let yourself be sad about that, kind of like the graduation. So by then I knew to take a pity day and be sad that I've worked really hard and I have an adult kid and I should be with those people celebrating some sort of victory and I don't get to. Mm-hmm. So let myself have the pity party about it and then move on. If you don't let yourself grieve about it, it just it just festers like anything. Same with this baby. I let myself be upset. I didn't I didn't want another special needs kid. That's not what I was signing up for. I had thought I was gonna have another chance to be a normal mom. And that's not what I'm getting this time around. So I have to verbalize that and let myself feel that and be okay. And then the cel- then comes the celebrating. So then you celebrate the things you do get to do, like Disney movies and 45 hugs a day. <laughs> and it's good. I've had to physically write those things down sometimes. And um, I've made a point to try to listen when people tell me that. It feels really ingenuine in the beginning when people are like, you're so lucky to have someone like that in your life. And your house just must be so happy because she's happy all of the time or I'll get a lot of, oh, I always thought I would have a special needs kid. That would be so great in my life. And in the beginning, that stuff just falls off of you, like just doesn't penetrate. But I've had to make a conscious effort to really let it sink in and go, you know what, that is great. Or they are seeing something. You don't like how they worded it, but they are seeing something special that I get to have. So that's where a lot of the celebrating comes in. And trying to connect with other special needs moms and seeing what they have. And then um, I think, well, there was a third thing you asked me about grieving, celebrating, and then what else did you ask? Accepting, accepting. Oh, yeah, accepting. Um, That one's a little bit harder. (laughs) But I, as I've had the two other kids and, and been a mom now for 20 years, it's kind of like we were talking about before. You, you start to realize that your typical kids, there's an awful lot you got to accept too. That there's not, they didn't follow exactly what you thought they were going to do, or <laughs> they don't do things the way that you would, or they don't think like you do, or dress like you want them to. Those are a lot more minor, but there is some accepting like this is, you know, I can choose to love my kid and my life and my family how it is, or. I can be angry at God or the world or everybody else, but it doesn't change. It doesn't change anything. 
Oh, I love that so much, so much good wisdom. I want to go back a little bit to what you were saying about, um, allowing yourself to grieve and allowing yourself to talk about it, even to others who might not be in the same situation. Megan, as you know, I'll just share with our listeners. Megan knows my mother-in-law, my husband's mom, um, who also has a special needs child. My husband's sister, um, has down syndrome And um, my mother-in-law has been a really great example to me about this. She shares very openly about her disappointment of having a special needs kid, about not knowing how she was going to deal with this, about, um, you know, grieving for many years that she was, as she says, never going to be alone again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that, I mean, society in general has had this great shift over the last 30 years where we've become a lot more um, sensitive in our wording, a lot more aware of the fact that special needs kids are human beings, right? And a lot more um, positivity surrounding this. But I think sometimes, like you're mentioning, almost to a fault, like this, oh, you're so lucky kind of a thing. Everyone, These parents, more often than not, are still dealing with a loss of expectations, a loss of this life that they planned. Um, and I think it's really important that others are sensitive to that as well. And that if it's you that you, that you express that, right? I love that you are saying, Hey, you know, this is normal to be disappointed and frustrated. And then to, um, write down and accept the, the wonderful parts that come with it as well. Yeah. And I, I do. Yeah. Your mother-in-law is great. She, she taught me a lot about that. I was surprised the first time she came up to me and just full on said, it's hard, isn't it? You weren't you were disappointed, weren't you? And I, it was really refreshing to hear someone acknowledge that it, it's it's hard to communicate to other people that you can have both. It's frustrating mm-hmm. and it's hard and it's disappointing, but that doesn't mean I don't love and I'm not happy and I would never trade her for anything. It, the both things can exist. And while it has been great that you're right. The shift has happened in, even in the the 20 years that I've had Chloe. Um, as a baby, I get a lot more stares. People come and like say prayers over her and things like that. A lot more open comments, like she should be in some sort of hospital or something as opposed to now where it's predominantly, you're so lucky and that's so great. And everybody's special. Um, that has changed and that has been good, but it does make it really difficult to voice anything. Even on this interview, I'm like a little bit scared. Like, I hope people don't hear this and think, you know, that I don't want my child. It's, it's hard. Typical moms can complain a lot more openly on their stories or on social media. Like these kids are driving me nuts. I just need a break. It's a lot harder for us to do that. I think. Yeah, that is a good point that you bring that up because we do, we were going to ask you what you wish others would stop doing or saying about you and your family and your special needs children. Like, how can we be more empathetic or more helpful? I was trying to think of that and I was trying to think of the times I've been annoyed and come home and told my husband like, oh, I can't believe they said that. It me crazy. <laughs> I was trying to think of what it is. It's difficult because I do think most people, no matter what they say, are genuine and mean well. And usually even if I'm frustrated, I can go back and go, well, that's not what they meant. It sounded like this, but that's not what they meant or they meant well. Um, but I do think the hyper... Um, kind of what some of the stuff I said already, like, I would love to have a special needs kid or, you know, that your life must be so great. That, that stuff's really hard because how do you respond 
Yeah, my life's great. I have all the same other problems everybody else does. Finances and cleaning and husband and whatever else. But it feels like I have to have a great life because of um, this, because of this situation or everybody thinks that it does. So those things, the overly um, complimentary, I guess, or like overly, this must be so great. Everything's wonderful is a little bit difficult. Um, but some of the other things that the specific comments that are harder are, oh, well, you don't need to worry about that though. That that's a tough one that happens a lot. Like, like Chloe and dating was really hard. She really, she still just really wants to date and she has crushes on typical boys and you know, it's something that she wants. And then I, then there'll be people with teenage girls saying, oh, you're so lucky. You don't have to worry about that. I'm thinking, I do. I do have to worry about it in a whole different way. <laughs> but now I don't feel like I can say that because of what you said. <laughs> um, so that's hard. Uh, comments about physical appearances or what they're doing is always difficult too. If the mom brings it up, it's totally fine. But other than that, most moms are pretty aware that their kid's 10 feet behind the other one, that their kid has Coke bottle glasses or hearing aids or, you know, many other things that stick out. And they probably spend a lot of time trying to find clothes to help them fit in. And, um, you know, again, Chloe's diapers was always an issue. Once she hit a certain age, she couldn't wear the clothes that other kids were wearing or she'd have a diaper sticking out. And I knew she didn't want that or other kids would point and say something. So any physical appearance stuff is difficult unless the mom brings it up. Then she wants to talk about it. That one's always hard too. But it's mostly those comments that are usually intended well, but just just a blatant comment. Well, you don't have to worry about that or your life must be so great. And um, But the, the biggest thing that I could come up with, and this may not apply to every special needs mom, is talking like talking with the child there as if they're not. That one is the one that gets under my skin. Um, you would never do that to a typical child. But people think that because they're being complimentary or because they're being empathetic to the mom, that they just, or because the kid's always with them. I mean, Chloe's always at my side. But people will just blatantly start talking about her or talking about how hard it must be and if you could imagine how that, how to undo that with a typical child, like, well, they weren't saying it's hard to be your mom and then trying to explain it to someone with a cognitive delay, it just is very difficult. So, or, or talking to me instead of her is in the same, same line. Like if, if you ask five kids, do you want vanilla ice cream or do you want chocolate? And then you get to my kid. And you look at me and ask if she wants vanilla or chocolate. That's super difficult. Now, she may not be able to answer, but just know that I would step in and if she can't. But she feels that, and I feel that when that happens. Oh, that's a great tip. I, I think – I'm assuming that most people just get so uncomfortable that they think, oh, I don't know what to do. I better just ask mom. But to always default to the child, right? And if the child can't answer, then mom can step in. That's a great tip. Yeah, I really don't think people mean they might even be trying to help. Yeah. But it's yeah. still it, it it makes things obvious, makes it hard. 
Okay, so moving along that same vein, we're going to wrap up with one last question. How would you say that your friends and family have best supported you with a special needs child and how can others um, support their friends and family with a special kid? Um, so I have a couple really great examples. I have a mom's group that I have a friend that invited me to join. A, it was a, like a breastfeeding support group right after our kids were all born. Like all the kids were born within a couple months. And there was 10 of us and she had a group and she invited me to join. I didn't find out till years later that there was a big controversy to ask me to join the group because I don't know what they thought. Like I wasn't going to have the same breastfeeding journey as them or my kid wouldn't be able to keep up with theirs or who knows what they thought. Um, but she insisted. She's like, well, no, she was born the same time frame and she can use the support more than anybody else. I, I didn't know all of that at the time. But I joined this group and it was amazing. Chloe did so well because she had nine peers, nine typical peers that she became close with. And it helped me be a normal mom sometimes, um, even if my kid wasn't crawling or doing the things the other ones weren't. So just including, and like like I kind of said before, if, if, it's, if it's not something I wanted to do or if it would have made it worse, I wouldn't have. But if I wasn't invited, then I don't have a choice. Chloe, yeah. uh, they're, they're in high school, right? And one of her friends just went to a birthday party and it was the first birthday party they'd ever been to. And I'm sure you'd all heard that story, those types of stories for special needs kids. And I contacted this same mom and I said, you know, you inviting me to that group meant that Chloe was invited to birthday parties and Chloe did all of these things <laughs> and maybe we couldn't go to all of them, but it, it changed her life. It changed my life. So just including like, um, you can always invite, and if it falls short, it falls short. That's that's huge. Um, and I still stand by the overly complimentary, but when Chloe, the other thing is, when Chloe was born, nobody said congratulations. Part of it was, she it was a surprise, like I said before, that she was special needs and she was in another hospital and it was awkward for a lot of people. But it was my first baby, and I didn't get balloons and I didn't get congratulations and I didn't get any celebrations or anything like that. It just made the whole thing harder. And when she was about a month old, a friend that had a sister with Down syndrome walked in the room and just from the door said, let me see that beautiful girl and picked her up Aww. and said, congratulations. And she was the first person, person in a month that had said congratulations to me. And that meant the world. So... But I don't think that's overly complimentary. I think that's just normal. And most people react with, how are you doing? How is the baby? Rather than, oh my gosh. Like, like you just had a loss, right? Instead of just having a baby. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think just um, maybe trying, I think, Bonnie, I think you just mentioned people being afraid and not knowing what to do. Just know that you're probably going to be better off fumbling than withdrawing than not offering the invitation or the smile or the congratulations. I think that makes yeah. a big difference. Oh, Megan, it's so neat to hear you share everything, <laughs> like from the perspective of 20 years in and also starting your next 20 year journey. It's just really neat thing to hear. And I wanted to share with you, you've brought to mind um, a kind of a meditation I had um, a while back, and it was the power of the word and. And so you say, this is hard and I love it. And that allows both 
things to live in that space <laughs> in your yeah. life. And that is totally what I hear in you is it has been hard with Chloe and you love it with Chloe. <laughs> and both those things are coexisting so, so beautifully in your life that we're just really really glad that you could share everything that you've shared with our listeners today. Oh, thank you so much. I think that is true that the way you said it is perfect. And I will say it took me probably 10 years to get there <laughs> to recognize I could have both to learn to say and. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you are being such a great shining example for so many people. It's wow. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And I'm so grateful that you said yes to this interview today. I know it must've been hard, especially expecting a new baby and all the complications that come with new baby life in general. I know you're probably stressed out and exhausted. <laughs> um, and then this diagnosis on top of it, we really appreciate you sharing this because I know that your, your experiences and your learning process is going to help someone else out there. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Oh, you're so welcome. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to take the pause and think about what's important. It's great. Okay. So Megan, do you want to share with our listeners where they can find you? Um, I don't know if you're public on Instagram. I'm sure people would love to follow you. Yeah. So I am, but um, a lot of, so Chloe is on Instagram and I keep hers pretty open and she, cause she mostly posts about her story or I will post about her story and she's princess Gigglebox on Instagram. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I, mine is just Gibson Kids Mom. I'm on Instagram too. But I usually, if it's a Chloe story, it usually at least starts with hers. Because she has a lot of people, doctors and things that follow her story. Okay, that's so great. We will link both of those in the show notes. Thanks again for coming on, Megan. We sure love talking to you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening, friends. Click the link in the show notes to subscribe to our email and never miss another episode. Show us some love by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with a friend. Thanks for all your support. We'll talk to you next week.